Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Lowdown. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Kirk Vallis, Head of Creativity at Google. Kirk, welcome to the show. Thank you, Connor. Thank you. I probably should say I, I don't currently have the title of Head of Creativity in all its parts. I, I reckon Google's founders might 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 want to take that title, but but my I'm certainly very much responsible for trying to build creativity and innovation skills, problem solving skills as a as a skill set across the organisation. So that's that's my humble part in the uh, uh, in the Google machine. <laughs> and then I mean, touching upon the Google machine already, I mean, how would you describe your own role and what it's encompassed of? So I would say I listen I. I've had enough times where I've tried to explain what I do for a living at dinner parties or social gatherings and I've seen people's eyes glaze over as I try to do, to explain it. So I, hopefully I've got a bit better at it recently. Um, I help people solve problems is how I'd like to think about it and actually maximize opportunity because it's not always a negative, but you know, I think we're more, in, we're more motivated to sort a problem than we are maximize an opportunity but I help people solve problems in in two ways um I work I support teams on projects so where they've identified an opportunity a problem a challenge something that needs solving and maybe they're a bit stuck in their thinking so my job is to I'm rarely an expert in the space that I partner on uh, and sport is a great example of that I'm certainly not an expert in that space and but my job is to bring techniques um and frameworks that will help disrupt our thinking so that we might just get some new perspective, new ideas, new options in which to work with. But then I also spend a lot of time running training programs of various sizes and levels and different uh, different roles within the organization, giving people those tools and techniques so that they can use them themselves. But then critically as well, the, the right mindset that's needed. Because if there's one thing, you know, I've been at Google now 11 years and even before that as an innovation consultant, like innovation frameworks have I've not, I've not seen a bad one, right? They're actually all pretty similar and they're, and they're great. You know, like they, they make sense. But what makes, I think that what drives success when you're trying to solve a problem or come up with new ideas to get a competitive edge is, um, is actually how we show up. You know, I have a playful expression, which is a shameless sort of spin on the uh, Peter Drucker quote from the business world. And, um, but it's, it's um, behavior eats process for breakfast. And I would, if we let, you know, if we are working, you know, we've got a big problem, got a game at the weekend, we know we're in trouble unless we do things a bit differently. Yeah, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather have no agenda and just people that are really up for, you know, being vulnerable, sharing new thoughts, nurturing each other's thinking, getting outside of our bubble and echo chamber, than I would the perfect flow of this is how we're going to utilize this session and this, um, and this flow. Perfect world, you got both, but. Given if I could only have one, it would be behavior over process every time. Yeah, it's really interesting because you hit off there speaking about project based work, and then second and foremost, you spoke about people becoming stuck. So for me, off the bat, it seems really counterintuitive, but it's really less about the motivational climate and environment and more about unlocking people's potential within it seems. Oh, yeah, listen, I. I, I... I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm sort of taking this to a slightly different place, but uh, there's a brilliant there's a brilliant quote the um the founder of Wired who you, most people be, might be familiar with Wired magazine futurologist look forward thinking technology but they also do lots of other things in the big research area as well and the founder of uh, Wired um, said 
the world isn't lacking in expertise and knowledge. It's lacking the imagination of what to do with it. And um, very rarely are people short of technical expertise in their field to solve the problem. It's because their brain just isn't thinking, isn't, isn't allowing itself to look at it in a different way. I, I always say to, you know, especially you imagine a place like Google where we pride ourselves in technical ability and actually elite sport is the same. You know, lots of people have worked hard to get to where they've got to. But I very deliberately provoke by just telling them that expertise is overrated. And that can be quite, you know, especially if you think if you've done a big, you know, lots of academic and qualifications or you've just spent a lot of time in that career. And of course, I don't mean that it shouldn't be valued. Um, it should be valued to a hell of a large degree. But we give it too much credit. You know, it's like, you know, lots of people all all sitting around a, um, a table knowing lots of things doesn't mean that we're going to come up with new with new ideas or new, new ways. And um, at Google, we sometimes refer to our colleagues as um, smart creatives. Like that's the ideal type of person we want. And what we mean by that is we want people who are smart. We want people that know lots of things about lots of things, especially in their expertise. But unless they have the preparedness and practice to make fresh connections between all of that stuff, they'll never, they offer little more value to someone who knows less than them, who has less expertise. Um, and certainly in our world, less value than a computer. Because if you're only trading in binary knowledge of your world, well, a computer could always do that better than a human being. Our ability to think and think differently is what sets us um, sets us apart and so yeah and, you know most people aren't even utilizing their brain's full potential to solve the situation and it's often not because they don't know enough it's possibly because they know too much <laughs> yeah it's very interesting I mean casting your mind back now to your earlier days Kirk when did you first realize that this creative challenge was going to become a problem that needs solving oh um so I so I used to work in the advertising world, advertising sales and marketing. And, um, you know, and it was just being a leader of a team. So as I started to become a manager, I was a manager quite early in, 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 my, in my career. I was really lucky in that sense. And I am. Um, and you could see that like lots of the innovation and I wouldn't have even called it innovation and lots of good stuff that we were doing in, in, in the organization that I worked for. I worked for Capital Radio and we um, and lots of it was like, oh, it's brilliant. Look at this technology that's helping us do this. And I was just thinking, you know, there's, there's some people here who are pretty much involved as well, right? So my, at that point, I was like, hang on a minute, there's a danger that us as people, and I was probably driven by quite a lot of selfishness and a desire to be recognized and promoted again or whatever it be. But I was like, hang on a minute, we've had a role to play in some of this. And when can we get some credit? And the more and more I sort of stopped and tried to think about it and would challenge my frustration, I kind of realized that it's like, you know, that, that's that's where we're at. Technology is, you know, my conclusion is technology doesn't innovate. And I think people think it does whatever, in whatever field, even in sport, look at sports science and technology and the amount of data is a great example. And by the way, not saying it's not bad. And we'll probably talk about that, the power of insights and understanding and all of those things to help us make better decisions. But my reaction was, hang on a minute, you know, it's people who innovate. So technology, data, they're the best tools we've ever had. To innovate with but it's still a human contact sport and um so that's where it started and then from then on i was always looking to um 
to bring fresh perspectives to you know to encourage my team to try new things to come up with new ideas uh we went on a few training programs um uh with a company that actually were called what if who are now owned by accenture and um who trained teams and companies in innovation process and skill set and i love that and then actually you know i i they asked me to join them, that organization. So I took a massive leap. And um, at the time, I was working for Sky um, in their advertising world. And, um, and I decided to change all of that. And so I went and became an innovation consultant, um, helping, you know, helping companies to solve problems better, you know, new ways to innovate, but also build innovation culture within their organizations. And Google was one of my clients. And, um, and it was a really good, this was a brilliant, I thought this was brilliant self-awareness of Google or the part of Google that I was working with at the time. They said to me, we are brilliant at being the smartest people. You know, and it wasn't an arrogant statement. It was like, actually, in the work that we do, there are very few people that know more than us, you know, um, but we're not always as good at unlocking the smartest thinking. And I thought that was lovely, you know, and I so so sort of it's been that sort of journey, but even just back seeing that, you know, human beings having a an ability to to have some great 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 output and have some big impact and maybe not always getting the credit for it yeah and i, I think it's pretty cool like you said you joined as a specialist right and it's something which is living and breathing you're getting feedback live in the moment i'm just curious i mean you joined google as a specialist eight to nine years ago how has the way you viewed the creative process evolved since yeah, so so yeah, eleven years ago actually, and sort of twelve years of working with them because I was working with them for about a year and a bit before. But we um, what was really clear? So I was I was asked to join to help build for what for what for want of a better way of it framing it, I was asked to join to help build some innovation process within the commercial organisation, and um, I I need I was I spoke to my boss about resigning after about a month because um. Because I was like, you don't need innovation process. You don't need it. I mean, I think Google had written pe people at Google had written four books on it by then, and you know, and it was, you know, we everyone has there are there are some brilliant long-standing innovation process processes in place from manufacturing, lean six sigma, through to you know modern day technology-driven design thinking and all of those kind of stuff. And what I was seeing was. That's not your problem. Your problem isn't a shortage of a of a really sound way of doing things uh, when you want better output, new ideas, um, uh, improvements in whatever it is you're doing. Um, the problem here is that people aren't showing up to it in the right way. You know, so everybody's you've got a, people. You, so I'd go to a classic, let's call it a brainstorm. And that was half the problem as well. You know, lots of language that exists that signposts possibly the wrong type of behavior you want brainstorms generally most people want new ideas say a brainstorm and it's possibly most people's most feared meeting of the week the month you know because at best it's just going to be someone probably just railroading the conversation and it's a, a guised pitch not actually an expansive conversation where we all get to take part and so it's things like that you'd see people having brainstorms and they feel anything like a space that was ever going to create new 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 stuff um and so i very quickly was my I, you know i was able to pivot i said that what we don't we don't need to build a new process we just need to give some consistent behavior techniques mindset and common language 
that everyone can share so that we can just be better at creating those right the, the right conditions to have new ideas whether that's you know how do we you know how do we come up with the next disruptive innovation in the world of human transportation or how do I make my team meeting a bit more enjoyable because at the moment everyone's sitting there with a you know a frown on their face you know feeling anything but engaged but so whatever the the the, the problem that someone was dealing with they could use these principles to try and make it better yeah and it's interesting to cast your mind back to what you said about create about creativity about making connections seems to me what we've elaborated upon thus far in the 10 or 15 minutes so far Kirk it seems to me it's nearly less of a creative problem more of an inability to work together as a team oh yeah totally. uh, so actually and that's you know my my job today is uh, you know joking aside about job description my formal job title at Google isn't isn't creativity anymore it's it's more general learning and development and and, and talent uh, talent development and and i think that's what we've seen and that's not down to me i think what we have seen is we've seen a progression where language like creativity is not now the the home of one person in the organization that has their own office and a long beard that they stroke and the white coat you know it's not the single expert it's not the specialist anymore it has to be under everything so you know i work with sales teams at, at google and 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 beyond the principles are exactly the same. How do you create a much better collaborative engagement with your customers so that you solve problems together? And it doesn't feel like you pitching to them. It feels like you being a trusted advisor that helps to get to good, 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 good outputs. Um, likewise, you know, when working with, with sport, how do we make team meetings feel a little bit like, well, here's the stimulus and provocation of the data about the opposition and everybody being able to have an opinion as to what we might do there versus coaches fearing anything but total control where we'll tell them what to, you know, what to do. Um, so all of those kind of those moments, it's, you know, very rarely now, often I ran a, um, a training program for, I designed a training program for a part of Google, an engineering part of Google, and it was called creativity. And, um, and people's eyes were rolling, like at the thought of it. You know, people said to me, Kirk, you know, we're trying to rid the world of diabetes and things, and you've got us doing this. Um, so interestingly, second pilot session, different group, same same program. Um, I just called it creative problem solving. They were like, actually, yeah, that's what we do. I think we, you know, we do with that. And then just to prove the point, the third pilot, we just called it problem solving skills. And they were like, they, they couldn't wait for more. And the content was always the same. So actually, you know, there's a couple of things there. Firstly, still, I'm never wedded to the language of creativity, innovation, and so on, which is why I much more use the language. Most people will, most people, if you offer people to help people to solve problems, they, they've always got some problems that need solving. If you tell them you can help them to get more creative, they probably see that as a nice to have that's never high up the to-do list. So um, so that's the big, the, my, you know, where how, how I think about things is that, I don't care whether anyone calls anything creative or innovation or anything anymore. It's just, how do I have more impact? And in sport often, you know, especially at the elite end of the playing, playing side, how do we outthink the opposition? You know, sometimes use that language like that's because actually we can, you know, many of the other contributing factors to success, physical attributes, sports science, nutrition, lots of those things becoming less and less competitive advantage. I'd argue that 
your ability to think about it a bit differently and come up with some new ways is a much less tapped out um, competitive advantage opportunity. It's in nicely to what I was going to speak about, which is, um, don't know if you've read the book Transcend from Scott Barry Kaufman. No, no, I've heard of that actually. Yes, no, but I haven't. Terrific read. Put it on your list. But um, mm. the author, anyhow, he speaks about creativity and he says that it's a generation of products and ideas that are both novel and meaningful. I mean, in your line of work, Kirk, I mean, obviously you just spoke about the eyes rolling there. How do you begin to disseminate between what's creative thought and behavior compared to merely eccentric thought and behavior? Um, I, well, I don't think I would, I wouldn't, I, if, I, if I was observing or feeling like I was observing eccentric behavior and I wouldn't, that wouldn't fear me at all. I, I think that's probably the wrong categorization for good or bad. Um, I think where that author has, I think what I'm loving about that, and I think the similar principle that, that I make is if we're just having ideas for ideas sake. So most yeah. ideas should be novel, eccentric, wacky, whatever language you want to use. And I think it was, you know, Einstein said like, if an idea at first doesn't seem absurd, it's never got a chance. And so, and actually on a more practical level, just as human beings, it's so much easier to take a massive, audacious, crazy start of thought and work it into something that's applicable than it is to take something that's, you know, not not even particularly different or new and try and, you know, exaggerate it to something that's going to have high impact. So, so I think actually those kind of behaviours of being more eccentric um, and um, maybe being a bit left field, totally crazy, you know, seemingly ridiculous at, st at the start is not a bad place to be. I think the, 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 the problem is when people aren't really sure about the problem they're trying to solve. Yeah. And that's the big, so it's really interesting. People talk, you know, I work in a part of Google where we're all about solutions. And I go, it's only a solution if it's got a, if it's attached to a problem that it's meeting, otherwise it's just an idea. Um, and so that's the big, the big thing. And so when, you know, the description you gave that, that author of, it has to be novel and did you say novel and practical practical novel and meaningful no, yeah. novel and meaningful and oh and maybe i'm misinterpreting you know meaningful might mean that it's it's going to change the world or something but but for me and you know unless we know unless the ideas that we're having actually are, are are appropriate to the problem or the opportunity we're trying to improve overcome or something then it's just then then it's just this wacky crazy idea you know, it's like when people go and go, right, blue sky thinking, let's have some ideas. I mean, there is never a situation where it, and any idea is okay. There's always constraints. We've always got a problem. We're always, there's always something around it. So I think ideas often get too much credit in the innovation process because we should give more credit to time spent really understanding the problem or the opportunity and what we've got, what we've got to work on. And you know, if we can disrupt our thinking at that stage, ideas can be really simple. You know, it's like another another quote. Is it like you know, um, is it another Einstein one? You know, you know, definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And it's all, but it's but I would say it's the same. If you just keep going back to the well, and going, it's the same problem. It's the same problem. I just need a new idea. I need a new idea. I go maybe change your articulation of the problem because you might be looking that in a different way. I I share an example when I do talks. Um, uh, from healthcare, there's a great example, and it's of 
if if you if if anyone's ever I'm sure lots of people listening have had MRI scans, you know you know you have to be perfectly still. So you know you you ask an engineer to make kids stay still during an MRI scan, they would be forgiven for creating what often exists in most hospitals braces. I mean they literally the the answer is well we'll keep them still. Um, and can have horrendous results, right? So, but change the problem. How do we help kids to remain calm and relaxed during an MRI scan? By the way, dot, 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 so that they stay still. But all of a sudden your brain goes to a different place easily. And then you get what they've got at Stanford University Hospital, which is the yellow submarine. You know, the whole thing is a game. The children stay still and LED screens on the inside of the scanner allow fish to come over you and fall into your imaginary net if you move they swim away um you know the idea is to catch as many fish as you can to score points to win a prize every kid wins a prize they're like phenomenal so all of that actually the idea isn't difficult at all but no one's brain was going to those kind of things because the articulation of the problem just it it made perfect sense every time you said this is the problem well it's got to be about they probably i mean i i dread to think they're probably going well we need to make those straps a bit tighter then don't we or we need to do this or we need whereas actually like it's that's not the issue and change change the problem you'll you'll naturally get new perspectives around that and i think that that's a big thing i think this is something that you've implemented rightly at google because my mind casts to two things there first thinking from a state of expansion over a state of scarcity second it's only a solution if attached to a problem I've heard you in a previous podcast before speak about, you know, most people have a to-do list. <laughs> yeah. You encourage people have a th- uh, to think about list. It sounds quite yeah. niche. Sounds quite useful. Well, so actually, let's let's go. Let's take it to what what we're really talking about here. What we're the the point is how much credit do we or value do we place on gestation time? as part of our problem solving process, you know, and the answer is we don't spend enough. You know, we're very, we're conditioned to do things. I'm busy if I'm, you know, if I'm busy, if I feel busy, I'm doing this. If I'm just having a wander and letting things just stay for a while, it doesn't feel like I'm adding value. And part of that is our society and culture and or the industries we work in. There are some industries, you know, your typical creative industries, music, film, et cetera, where that's what happens. I mean, we don't have some of those extreme space for it to come you know the, the the creative muse where it might come to me where it does you know i've got a deadline you've got a match day or whatever it be it's um we can't we can't be as just almost wistful of just letting it happen when it happens but we do need to let things gestate for a while ask people when they do their best thinking it's you know, walking, um, exercising, falling asleep, spending time with the kids, doing the gardening. It's never, you know, at my desk with the face of doom because of the the, the, the seriousness of the of, of the problem. And that's the, you know, and that is the core of the science. We often do our best thinking at best when we're focused on the task, but really relaxed and not distracted by other things, but equally by some time just letting it sit in the back of our head and letting the subconscious do its do its brilliant thing uh, by just giving it that space. So, so I think that's the point here is it's, you know, not necessarily you must, I think the top tip to take away isn't necessarily to have a, a to-do list, although that's fine, top tip for you, only needs one thing on it. Because that's, you know, always have, I try and give myself a one thing to think about each day. Um, and I normally think about it in the morning 
uh, in the bathroom when I've just woken up and I'll go, that's my thing for today. And then I'll forget about it. And it's normally something that I've actually actively got to action in a couple of days. So I'm just helping my, 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 my brain. But, you know, I once um, observed a, a, football, a football team and how they ran their week. And um, this was a little while ago. And, and I'm, I'm, I've kind of embellished it and paraphrased it a bit for, for story effect. So it's a bit unfair. But you, I'm sure there's principles that you and others can understand from this. So it would be Monday and Tuesday will post we'll analyze the weekend that's just gone you know how did that go blah 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 we'll do that we'll watch the video uh, we'll have wednesday wednesday's off uh, and then thursdays we'll look at the data for the week ahead what we're going to do for the weekend ahead what we're going to do against that opposition and for me i'm just like what a massive waste of wednesday now i know it's a day off but if 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 on tuesday afternoon if the last thing we did was just to seed the data and analysis of our opposition for the weekend and then let people go off. No, no action, maybe a couple of provocative questions, because that's always good to lock things in your in the back of your head. But um, but then people go off, play golf, computer games, spend time with their kids, doing the housework, whatever it is that they're, they're doing on their day off. I guarantee on Thursday they'll come back and will have a more informed view on, on that challenge. And, um, uh, you know, and I think this is sometimes, again, I'm being a bit critical and it's a bit unfair, but I think from my observation, a lot of the time in football, the fear then of coaches and leaders is, I don't want them to have an opinion. It's our job to tell them what we're going to do about this. And I was like, well, from my experience, most of the time, if you ask a group of people, players, football, sport athletes or, or, or corporate athletes, 90% um, of what they'll probably see in the data is probably what you've already seen, analysed and, and having a plan for anyway. So at the worst, you're just letting them own their own the ideas. That's so much better. We know that being told what to do or if I come up with it myself, that's more empowering. Right. So so at worst, you just people are coming up with the plan themselves before you have to give it to them. And I guarantee the 10 percent of things that might be a bit different, some of that will be gold dust because your expertise as the coach, as the leader, as the manager of that, that team or whatever it be in, in that organization is probably stopping you from seeing some of those things. So that's just a perfect example. It's not necessarily about to think about this. It's about being very deliberate about allowing some thinking space. So a good example, you know, use the, the, even, the nighttime is a brilliant example of this, like, because, and obviously in sport, you know, it's not quite the same days, but if I take my world, if I'm running a workshop, we're on a project to solve a problem or something. And if even, even if someone said to me, we've only got a day for this, I'd say, great, but let's start at lunchtime on day one and finish at lunchtime on day two. Because that evening space of people stepping away from it, going home, the commute, spending some time with their kids or with their, their passion, maybe going to the gym, you know, sport, just naturally falling asleep, etc. waking up the next morning, coming in, that is so such powerful stuff that I can never recreate that in the intensity of let's just keep going let's keep, keep going and if we were just solving this between nine to five if that makes sense so you know I just think it's uh, under it's such an undervalued part of the creative thinking or problem solving or high performance um, process. It's interesting because it seems to be like you're quite rigid in strategy, but fluid in execution, right? As to how you achieve the intended outcome. It seems to be yeah. 
awful detrimental to the overall process if you just try to discipline or will yourself into a creative way of thinking. Oh, to- a hundred, you know, and you know, surefire, a surefire way to 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 stop people being creative is to apply huge amount of pressure for them to be creative right now. And uh, and listen, you know, I I, I think I've I've read about some of this happening in 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 football in in other sports, but you know, we can we can measure brain frequency very easily now. We can plug people into nodes that um, and this is something that you know. Um, uh, vi- vi- so, so, so there's um I came across a gentleman called um Vin Walsh, Vincent Walsh, who some people might be familiar with. I think he's sort of spoken a bit in sports contexts and sports settings, and he's an I think he's a neuroscientist, but he certainly he you know he has the ability, as many people do now, to plug into to you know plug the brain in and understand what what's going on, what state the brain is in at any given time. And I know that's been used in football. I read about, I can't remember which club it was, but a club sort of plugging in their, their defenders and seeing how they react when they come out with the ball into the midfield, right? And who's able to stay relaxed and calm in that in that zone and who's who's frantic and uh, um, et cetera. But, but it, and, and just to be clear here, it's a trainable skill. The most creative people... I know are those that are very well practiced at remaining calm or trying to remain calm in under pressure situations, right? It's, I don't think it's a, you know, it's a gift that you either have or you don't, you can, you can, you can train it. So you sort of see lots of people frantic. And I think like that, you know, the, the, um, I always laugh about the the halftime meeting and obviously, you know, other than the odd documentary, most of it is sort of, you know, what I see in the movies, right? having only played, say, half time, you know, Sunday league football. But I can imagine some very top head coaches absolutely sort of losing it. Well, you can see them on the touchline, you know, there. And you know, I just go, there is no way that they are going to be able to have clarity of thought and calmness in that moment. Like actually, science, science will prove that it is impossible to make fresh connections when you are under that much brain stress right and the stress can come from various things you know physical mental psychological emotional whatever it be but your brain is just the oscillation of the neurons is just going absolutely crazy and so uh, you know and that's a great example where i go like i think again some sport environments that's you know that's encouraged it's seen as a good thing it's passion you know it'd be really interesting to see a head coach and by the way you know there is football elite football as a as a big, big, big challenge, which is fans and the media, um, which, you know, often drives behavior that it wouldn't, wouldn't exist in, you know, that you might not otherwise do, but there's an expectation. You fans want to see passion. I'd want a manager meditating for 10 minutes before, before a half time, you know, have that thought, um, you know, so, so that they could be calm, focused, then they would actually have some clarity of thought. So I think this, the sort of the extreme would the extreme opposite is that people just believe that you sort of have these ideas at any time or they just come and you can't control them no 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 you can i a cheesy expression but structure is the friend of flair and if you want your brain to to you know like we have to be disciplined about it right so you know it's why google has things like sleep pods they are not 
a privilege not they are definitely a privilege sorry but they are they are not just a nice to have there is science that says that 20 minutes in a sleep pod will engineer a state where your brain naturally wanders and starts to make fresh connections it's um and so that's why it's there you know it's it can be abused right people in there for an hour doing their emails because it's a comfy chair that's not the point of it though the point is to help to try and have that i would I, you know i've seen examples of um some organizations where they've got six sleep pods in a room they'll go in we've got an hour so there's focus it's not not like we can just muse around we've got to solve a problem here's the problem let's kick it around for 10 minutes and then we'll be in the sleep pod for 20 minutes and then half an hour to then um to then to then solve it there's a there's a much more low low res version which is here's the problem all go away have a cuppa go for a walk come back bring your thoughts and reflections right so you know the principles are all always the um always the same i'd love it you know you sort of you do hear stories of you know some teams in sporting environments you know first thing they do at half time is breathing exercises or something just to create that calmness which will allow clarity of thought so you know i think that's the science it was just when you mentioned about that sort of sort of um the the language you use about sort of you know frantic if you like and calmness actually like frantic doesn't mean that you're causing action you know that you're actually producing output um and a state of sort of almost just you know total calm can be the most productive yeah and it, it, it often like it's a tug of war you're going against the grain really of high performance sport but you spoke about there about some neat tools for coaches and people involved in the high performance game such as sleep such as breath work such as even that meditation piece we spoke off air before coming on the pod about you doing a module on the UEFA Pro with the FA. What are some of the perhaps other tips and recommendations you'd have for coaches involved in the upper echelons of football? Yeah, so I, I'm, you know, it's a short, it's a short piece of the of, of the program, and I'm, I feel privileged to be to be part of it, and have been now I think six years. We we were saying, um, and there's sort of three, 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 three big areas, all under the banner of. How do we just get better at being creative problem solvers? Okay, how do we allow ourselves to think differently, come up with new and different ways that can support our technical excellence in, you know, most of the rest of the module is about technical, tactical brilliance, how to obviously lead in the right way, media, all of those things that I'm sure many people know. So this piece is just about that. How do we think a bit differently when we recognize that we might benefit from an option or two more? And number one top tip is, just be more deliberate about pressing pause more often and asking yourself what's one other way i could do this all right and it because the how the brain works the brain doesn't flood yourself with ideas it, it um there's a brilliant book by chip and dan heath uh, called decisive um all about decision making they talk about this brain's desire to narrow frame our brain narrow frames everything to such an extreme of one option that's how it works. It helps us to stay um, fast functioning. And, you know, it, it, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it means that in any situation, our brain will always give us one option, but it's always based on how it was done before or something a bit like it. And, and that happens to us all the time. And it's especially in fight or flight mode, those high pressure modes. So actually, if all we do is just go press pause, what's one other way I could do this? You know, I'm just about to make a tactical decision. Okay, it's obvious because that's my default trigger autopilot reaction when I see us in this situation or this happening. Um, press pause, what would be one other way? And in most cases, you've just created 100% more options. 
Like, like, like how can you not like those, those, those numbers? And by the way, if you go for the original autopilot reaction, which you sometimes will, well, you can do it with even more confidence because you've just, you've just put it up against the rigor of choice. There's a brilliant leader at Google and she is amazing with her team at not getting into this. I'm not here to challenge the detail, not here to question that. All I need to know before we go ahead with this plan is that there was one other option that it could have been. Otherwise, how can we have any confidence that this is the right thing? By the way, you can never have 100% confidence. There is never a scenario where there is only one right answer. There is always, um, you know, there are always other ways to, you know, you can never categorically define you have the single best solution to a problem. There will always be something else potentially. So and we have to get over that. But we just bring more confidence to the decisions we make by the rigor of the choice that it was put up against. And I think that that's the big top tip is just building that practice, especially in football, where most people in coaching and leadership have been around it for a long time. They've built up a lot of ways, autopilot ways of how to do things based on how it was done to them or how it was done in, in, in the past. And just this habit of going, pressing pause, what could be one other way? Okay, just like, so I think if that's, it's probably the most practical thing I could give piece of advice I could give anyone in any field or whatever we're doing is just just building that discipline around around yourself because otherwise you'll just you could go through a whole day especially under stress pressured situation of match play or whatever it be and not even consciously think so that's all, all, all that is and then and then the other top tips are just recognizing firstly that um, the conditions we spoke about the brain state um is is critical to our ability to have new and different thinking and it's about recognizing that when we're focused on a problem you know i i give the example if you're if you're a coach and you're designing your session your coaching session well that's where you 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 need to be focused you need to be deliberate about it but it's about being relaxed singular focused away from distraction phones away you know other things and just that focus and also not taking it too seriously we have um, Larry Page, founder of Google, who used to say to us, "There's no, um, we don't have to be serious to solve serious problems. And, and, and he's right. Scientifically, that is right. The moment you allow the severity of a problem to take hold, even if it's life or death, your ability to solve, to solve it in different ways is, is, it disappears. Your, your ability to maybe harness your focus of how you did it last time improves. And there are scenarios, work with the military, there are moments when they... All they want, they need everybody in that team to know exactly how it's going to happen based on how it's been taught. They don't want creative thought. They don't want new ways of doing it. If they're, you know, in, in the front line, we just need, I need to know exactly how you're going to behave, Connor, because based on how we've done it before. But when they're away from that environment and when they've got more space, then they'll develop new options. Was there a different way we could have done it? And all of a sudden, then we've got two options in which we can work with. And we'll probably, and then we'll pick one and we'll commit to it. Um, and that will be our way for, for that situation. So again, we've got alignment, but we're, but we're, but we're, but we're thinking about it. So, um, but, but sorry, I went off on a tangent, but the, um, you know, we, we have to, but we take the severity, the severity takes hold. And so I would say we're doing important things. And I think again, maybe football is a bit guilty of this where we self-impose too much pressure. Now I've got, I've got a game to win. And, it, and, and yes, you have. And, um, but it's that then stops you from just relaxing. Just because we're working on important things doesn't mean we can't enjoy it. And actually, the sort of slightly 
left field go with me. Hopefully, hopefully this is taking the spirit it's shared. Even if you're in a life or death situation, well, if we can solve this problem, the output, the benefit is a massive, is amazing. So why not enjoy trying to solve this? Because the, the output can be really good. And I think let's take it down a notch. In most of our daily work, it's never as important as that, but but that's the thing. So how do we have focus but relaxed? But how do we also allow time for gestation and to let things um, um, uh, gestate and just kick around in our head? And then the last thing is to get out of our echo chamber and just, you know, I'm a big fan of other worlds. Where else in, is, in, in a totally different context has this problem been faced before? And can I go and soak up some of that? And I think sport is pretty good at this, particularly with going to other sports. I remember when I first started working with England Rugby just after the 2015 World Cup and they, um, they brought in, they brought in uh, the GB Judo team to help them understand, find new ways of, of tackling, right? How do we find new ways of, you know, holds that bring people to the ground effectively? Um, and I think football's sport is quite good at this, of learning from other sports, and that's great. But I'd go, push yourself even more. How can we learn from totally diverse, different um, uh, pers uh, perspectives? Because back to that point, there is no shortage of people in football. Let's take football. I know I keep honing in on that. There's no shortage of people in football who know about football. Back to the Kevin Kelly quote. Problem isn't expertise. There's enough of it around. It's, it's, it's actually thinking about it in different ways. So, you know, that, the, the, the other part of the module is about helping people to recognise tricks and tips that will actively disrupt our thinking not to give us the answer but to allow us to see it from a different perspective so that we can develop new answers or new options because that's all it is it's just options more options better decisions it's very intriguing because in football i think we do a good enough job of hitting ourselves that all these challenges facing us are football specific problems right when in reality you've just hit the nail on the head it's framing us from a different perspective I'd say I'd say no, I've not met I've not met a, a problem in football that does that the essence of it doesn't exist in another world, okay? In a totally different a different one. It's always it's always the case. You know, you know, you talk about like biomimicry. Like most most problems have been faced somewhere in nature before. You know, and and how we can learn from that. But even just going to um, to other worlds. Maybe I give an example. You know, it might be a high pressure conversation. You know, how do people, let's take the, the halftime team, team talk again, if I'm going to go down that thread. You know, what other worlds do people have to deliver high, high deliver messages in high stress situations that need to, you know, to help people to perform even better? And your brain goes to loads of places, everything from, you know, again, the, the, the military, first responders, teachers, um, you know, um, it could be the people on the soapboxes in the corner of Hyde Park in, in London preaching whatever the crazy stuff they're preaching. But but like we can go and learn from them. We can go and learn from those from from those folks. So you know, there's rarely rarely a problem if it's. But you have to. The key is you have to break it down to its essence so that you take away the context. Because the minute you start talking about football and things, your brain doesn't allow you to go to any other any other place. And obviously, you're at the deep end of all the stuff, Kirk. Um, I mean, you just you just spoke about it there. You're tapping into people from all sorts of different disciplines, different industries, different sports, so on and so forth. The one interesting question I'd have for yourself being like, what's the one big topic that you're speaking about with people now that you're currently researching that's not mainstream, but people will know a lot more of in the coming 10 to 15 years? 
Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, the big thing that's occupying not my direct day job, um, but at Google is obviously artificial intelligence, that's, yeah. which is there um, at the moment. Um, so that's going to be, you know, and there's a competitive edge. If elite sport can find a way to harness some of the power of some of that stuff, and they already are actually, like machine learning is power is already powering the deep data models that that we'll be using in um, in 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 sport in sport analytics and so on. And I, you know, I know that I speak to some of the folks in um, um, in in rugby analysis and um, and you know, so I know that. So we've already got that. So definitely, like, there's an opportunity. How do you go and understand that and harness it? But interestingly, it's funny because my I'm not an expert in that space at all, um, and everybody's super excited about it. But everybody is, I feel like the, it's a great example. Again, everybody's rushing to understand how it works under the hood. And, and, and I just go, there's going to be enough people that will do, that will know that. Why, why don't we focus on what we might want to use it for? My, my boss at Google, he sort of talks about, you know, we need to sell the journey, the destination, not the car that's going to get you there. Um, because that's the opportunity, but like, particularly for leaders, particularly if you want first mover advantage. Imagine going to whoever the decision maker is in a high performance environment, especially in sport, um, and, and, and giving them the deep analysis of what of how AI works, generative AI. They might be interested, but there is no way they are going to go, we should try something here. I mean, they'll probably leave feeling bamboozled, as, as, as most of us would. Um, Whereas go and sell them the opportunity, paint a picture about the competitive edge we might be able to get from this. All of a sudden, you've got people in there, and I think that's a, that's a big thing. You know, I'm spending a lot of time trying to help people to think about um, getting emotional engagement as well as rational buying. So this isn't 15 years; this is now. But but it just takes me to that. I think Google's always been good at it, and other worlds are becoming very good at it. Sports a great example where using data to get rational buy-in to, 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 you know, to provide evidence that suggests that this is what, what will happen and this is the way forward, um, we're really good at. But human beings are riddled with emotion, right? It's, it's how we make So to suggest that human beings don't make emotions decisions emotionally is a falsehood. Um, and so, and we're never, we're rarely as good at um, at getting emotional buy-in. And actually, I'm being unfair. Sport actually quite good at this. You know, a inspirational speech or talk or something at the start of something around a plan and so on. There's those moments. But I always think if you're trying to get across an idea, a new proposal, a, a possible way of doing things a bit differently, uh, the checklist is always, what am I doing to get rational buy-in? Because by the way, big inspirational story that makes you kind of go, oh my gosh, I'm in, I'm with you, Kirk. And then I can't provide it with evidence to back it up that you, you all of a sudden you'll leave inspired. But when it comes to putting pen to paper or saying yes to the, the to the idea or whatever it be, you know, your rational side will kick in and go, I need some evidence here. So, you know, we need evidence, but we also people rarely feel compelled to take action unless they're emotionally excited and emotionally can be good or, or bad, whatever you want to achieve there. So, yeah, AI for the future. But whatever it is that we're going to be talking about in the next 10, 10 years, and it will be around that, I'm sure, um, in sport will be, um, it, my big push will be focus on what it, on the opportunity, 
not on the detail. Unless, of course, you just want to become an AI specialist and deep, deep sort of um, uh, computer science uh, engineer or data scientist. But unless you don't and you're just trying to find new ways to have impact in your field, well, focus on what do we want to achieve it and bring it back full circle. Probably starts with what's the problem or opportunity I want to I I want to solve or I want to get better or I want to improve. Start with that because otherwise, again, you can go down a rabbit hole of here's some really cool, great things we can do with AI or X, Y, and Z, and they might not actually be helping you to move further in your journey or your or your or your goal or your ambitions. Eric, it's such a fascinating topic of discussion. Um, I think you do very, very important work. Been very much looking forward to this conversation for a long time. I enjoy it. (laughs) It did not disappoint. So, Kirk, Fallis, I have to thank you so much for coming on today's show. Thanks for having me, Connor. Thank you.